Hello and welcome back to Book of the Week here on the Literary Salon Podcast. It's me, Damien Barr, and it's the end of the year. I know that many days this year have felt like years. We're going to come back to that at the end. But before we end the year, let me just share with you our final book of the week. Now, this is just, it's so powerful and it's a memoir. It's from the critically acclaimed author of Mrs. Engels and the sisters Mao. That author is Gavin McRae. And this is his first memoir. It's a book called Cells. That's Cells with a C. The title is a reference to the work of French-American artist Louise Bourgeois, who you will know for her gigantic metal spiders. I remember seeing them at the Tate in the, the early 2000s. That's how old I am. Um, and I still think about them sometimes. Anyway, as well as the spiders, she also did these um, cell sculptures, which were about frustration, about suffering, about resistance. And they made Gavin think about childhood trauma. So using cells as a conceptual framework, Gavin explores the physical, emotional and psychological pain that caused him to distance himself from his family and from Dublin. So he describes the homophobic bullying that he endured as an effeminate boy in the 1980s. He talks about his parents' failure to protect him and he talks about his father's death while institutionalised. So it's full of really tough stuff, uh, but stuff that needs to be said, the stuff that gets repressed, the stuff that harms us if we don't talk about it um, and that's one of the main reasons for writing memoir but also for reading it for giving you know giving ourselves that catharsis at the start of the book Gavin has returned to Dublin as lockdown begins he's living with his mother who's got early onset dementia and it's here that his mother's home becomes not just a place of safety uh, from the outside world but also a kind of prison in which these memories and unresolved feelings are conjured so throughout the book, family is a source of comfort, but also a source of pain in this endless cycle of turning towards and turning away. One of my favourite writers, Sean Hewitt, author of All Down Darkness Wide, loves this book. He described it as a compulsive tidal force, detailed, vulnerable and brave. It pulled me in swiftly and held me to the very end. High praise indeed from the brilliant Sean Hewitt. So here's Gavin with more about his book. Hello, I'm Gavin McRae. I'm delighted to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Cells. This reading is about washing dishes with my mother. Here goes. Normally, my mother does the dishes after lunch. She prefers to be in control of that. But today, because I've noticed that she's particularly tired, I insist on taking over. She yields, but only if she can dry. Tea towel in hand, she assumes a close position on my left side. God, Gavin, you don't have to wash them so hard. What do you mean? You sponge everything three times and rinse them for ages. They just need a quick swish. 
I laugh, thinking of her method, the strict order that must be followed, and the weird little habits like the scolding of the cutlery with boiling water from the kettle. Then I feel a bit false, thinking of how we must look through the window, a picture of happiness, like one of those ads that begin with the mother pondering how she might increase the son's intake of good bacteria, for she is much concerned about his overall intestinal health, and end with her wiping something, a foodstuff, from his nose, then beaming into the camera, as though she has just solved his life. Are you going to work today, she says. I work every day, Mum. I know you do, she says. You're too hard on yourself. It's what it takes, I say. You're driven, she says. It's frightening. You're like a plough carving into the earth. Nothing will stand in your way. She's right. It is frightening. And it's tiring. Sometimes I would like to sit back, take a break. But I'm a servant to the delusion that I will write one sentence, one chapter, one book, that will be enough to satisfy me and enable me to stop. That'll never happen, she says. I know, I say. You won't be filled up by any one thing you do, she says. Better to find fulfillment from the simple fact that you have a career, with all its highs and lows. That's more than a lot of people can say. You know, Mum, I say, you're driven too, in your own way. Me, she says, I'm like water, I flow. I let out a single laugh, which she's expecting. Then I turn serious again. I don't know what it is, I say. I guess I've something to prove. To whom, she says. Not to me, I hope. Maybe to you a little, I say. She twists the tea towel into a tube to get it inside a cup and puts all her attention into the action of turning it around to collect all the moisture hiding down there. To the people at my old school as well, I say, unexpectedly broaching the subject. Sensing that she's being blamed for something, she turns away to put the cup into the cupboard. Probably to the people from my school most of all, I say. Success would be my way of taking revenge on those motherfuckers. I say this, but my mother is right. It's anger towards her that I'm feeling. And, paradoxically, it is this same anger that stops me from saying any more. As though the anger itself knows that it is not the right conduit for the message I've come to give her. A recent novel by Edouard Louis gives an account of homophobic bullying in secondary school. In the opening chapter, as an entry point to the subject, the narrator, a gay boy, recounts a scene from his old school corridor in which he is spat at and pushed and kicked. People looking at such a scene from the outside, he says, tend to focus on the emotional torment, the fear or the humiliation. But what he, the protagonist, remembers most clearly are the blows to his stomach and the crash of his head hitting the wall.
What has stayed with him is the physical pain. I was, I take pleasure in reporting today from my ivory tower, the star of many such scenes. Preparation for my role, by a large margin, the most consequential of my life, had begun some years before in primary school with a campaign of jeering and taunting of gradually increasing intensity. What in gym speak they call pyramid training, start light and build up to a top weight. But induction into physical violence, the climax, the ejaculation, what the hardworking people have paid their money to witness. I was denied until, like a bull in a ring, gone demented from provocation, I was nigh on begging for it, pleading for the sensation of body striking body, praying that after the next insult a fist would finally follow, for it promised to bring to a conclusion a humorless spectacle that had dragged on far too long. Here I am, this is my body, which is for you. Like the narrator in Louis' novel, I was on many occasions spat at and pushed. I was elbowed and kneed and kicked. I belong to that hallowed minority, which has heard reverberating through a dimly lit corridor the sound of their own skull knocking against a wall. He was asking for it. Once, on the way home from school, a matter of metres from my house, I was surrounded by a marauding gang who, having scoured the area in search of me, there he is, McGay, you faggot, we're going to burst you, pulled me to the ground and pounded me with their feet and fists. On a separate occasion, during the summer holidays, for there was, you see, no official break from the hostilities, I was in a field near my housing estate, sitting in a circle with a few of my girlfriends, smoking and chatting, when I heard my name being called. Not my proper name, mind, but its bastardization, which by that stage I had become habituated to. Cupping my cigarette to conceal it, I stood up and looked around. Marching in my direction was a group of five boys, strangers to me. None of them was from my school. But in terms of the probability of my being singled out and called upon in this way, that no longer mattered. For the use of the moniker I had been given at school was no longer confined to it. Gavin McGay had spread, with no social media to conduct it, remember, so sort of miraculously, from one believer to the next, throughout the entire neighbourhood. There he is. There was a lot of that. The pleasure of identification, recognition, discovery. Come here, McGay, we've something to tell you. I stepped out of the long grass into the nearby clearing. There was a lot of that too the offering of myself to my executioners. 
I dropped my precious cigarette onto the ground and stood on it. Put my hand in my pocket, where I had a packet of ten Marlboro lights, which I supposed these boys were going to want. Was it better to give them the packet up front, as an oblation to their god, or to wait until I was commanded? The group stopped a couple of paces away from me. Four of the boys formed a loose arc around the fifth. Do it, they said to this fifth boy. Go on. It is significant, I think, that even after all the violence I had suffered up to this point in my adolescence, I did not immediately grasp what the four boys were ordering the fifth to do. While I waited to find out, it was a matter of seconds, yet it felt like the world, that is to say, people everywhere, not just those in this miserable field, on this miserable island, were on pause and standing by for the queue to proceed. I examined the fifth boy's appearance. He had his hair styled in a bob, tucked behind his ears with a bit of an undercut as was the fashion for middle-class suburban boys at that time. He was thin, like me, but a bit shorter. In the face, good-looking enough. Converse runners, jeans, a green shirt kept open to reveal a grey t-shirt underneath. In brief, he was himself, and he was me, and he was a thousand other Southside boys, never quite free of the suspicion that we enjoyed conditioning our hair a little too much, that we wore our runners a little too clean, that we defended the girl's honour with a little too much gusto. Fucking do it, they said. And without further ado, he stepped into the empty space and did it. A hard, closed-fisted punch to my jaw. Strangely, although I can only have experienced this from the inside, what occurred in my mind, a creative elaboration of what I glimpsed out the side of my eye as my head swung to the right, was an image of myself as seen from the outside, my own long hair fanning out in the air, blonde against a, a cloudless blue sky. And that banality of banalities was that. I put my left hand over the place where I had been struck, checked for blood, none. Then went back to my friends, none of whom had defended me and none of whom was remotely put out by the treatment I had received. The boys, were they satiated? Had they admitted and accepted their violence? Went away. The next time I saw the boy who punched me, the fifth boy, was in a gay bar in the city centre about a decade later. There he is, I thought, when I caught sight of him standing by the wall with a friend. I've been waiting for this. And I felt the pleasure then of identification, recognition, discovery. Fucking do it, I thought. Look at me. And, as if willed to, he did straight in the eye. One dreams of revenge, and then it simply drops 
into your lap. I had, at that stage in my life, not yet mastered many things inside myself. But for that second, I came close to the superiority which I so badly wanted. This was the fifth boy's belated gift to me. That is a tough scene to listen to, and as a writer, I can imagine how difficult it was to write too, but it perfectly illustrates the flow of the book from the intimate scene of dishwashing to traumatic memories of misogyny and internalised homophobia. And although he often feels powerless, Gavin has an incredible sense of control over his own story um, in this memoir. And again, as a writer, that's one of the reasons you want to do a memoir. You want to take control of your story. Um, and few people do it with the, with the style and compassion that Gavin Mamad used to do. So it's an incredible book to be ending our season of the podcast on. Thank you for joining us today and thank you for joining us for all the episodes. Uh, we've had so many new listeners join us from all over the world. Um, so it's always nice to welcome new folk and it's always nice to have old friends get in touch and tell us what they're listening to and what they're reading. So thank you for all your support and thank you for sharing the podcast. It really does make a big difference. We will be back in January 2023 with a whole load of new books for you to add to your TBR. In the meantime, please get your hands on a copy of Cells by Gavin McRae. It's published by Independent Press Scribe. It's available now in all good bookshops and you can get it from your local independent shop or from our shop on bookshop.org. And if you shop at our shop on bookshop.org, you support us in the work that we do. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening all year and join us again soon. Take good care.